Adventures in Teaching. Stories of creativity, relationships, excitement, and suspense from the university and K-12 classroom. Brought to you by KELT, the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at Thompson Rivers University. Welcome to the second episode of Adventures in Teaching. In this episode and in future episodes, we're going to be interviewing people from two different organizations, from a school district and from a university, to compare and contrast what teaching is like in those two contexts. This time we're going to talk to the people who are responsible for leading teaching and learning in a school district and university. We'll hear what they have to say as they share their adventures and thoughts as they talk about leading learning. Welcome to Adventures in Teaching. Today we've got two guests uh, who are working in the area of teaching and learning in two different systems at Thompson Rivers University and in School District 73. We have the Director of Instruction for Curriculum, Lisa Carson, from School District 73. Welcome. And we have the Director for the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at Thompson Rivers University, Catherine Dishke-Hunsel. So welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So this is all about stories, and, and given that both of you have a focus on learning in your role and in in teaching practices in your role, I'm curious to know about your own experiences. So let's, Lisa, let's start with you. When was the first time you taught? What was your first teaching job? My first teaching job was um, 0.25, so it's a quarter-time contract teaching grade 8 art. I've taught um, English all the way 8 through 12, um, as well as communications and uh, social studies and technology through computer animation and graphic design classes. And Catherine, what about you? What's, what about your teaching experience in higher education and, and your experience in the K-12 system too? Right. So for this, I went way back, so I'll bring it up a little bit further. Um, my first school teaching position was as an English teacher in a German gymnasium uh, where I taught grades 4 to 12 English four days a week. So that was my first school teaching experience that wasn't volunteer work. Uh, But once I returned from Germany, I started my master's in psychology and started teaching undergraduate psychology. Interesting. And what kinds of things have you taught? So so undergraduate psychology is your area. Yes. um, But there's always been sort of an educational flavor to it. Is Is that a fair thing to say or not? There has, but you wouldn't know that through the teaching, the courses that I taught. So I taught personality psychology, health psychology, um, social psychology, persuasion. Uh, but I also taught educational psychology and a class called Education in the Community and some master's courses in the uh, Master's of Education program. So before we start uh, listening to your adventure stories, let's talk a little bit about your roles. Both of you work in a field that I only just recently have come to know and it'd be called educational development or educational developers um, for in higher ed, in, in K-12, to we call it curriculum support or helping teachers or instructional support or something like that. Uh, is there sort of a top three goals that you would see for what we would broadly call educational development? I think it's to bring theory to practice is a big one. So taking the research and the literature, things we know that are working and letting people know what they are. Another big one is letting people know that there's resources and support out there, knowing that you don't have to go it alone, 
there's other people who are struggling. There's other people who have questions. There's other people who are curious. And there's a whole network of people who care about classes and students and making things work better. In terms of a third, I think part of it is just letting um, or developing the discipline in and of itself is supporting other educational developers and helping them realize their potential because a lot of them come from um, these sort of academic, adjunct academic or alt-ac careers where they've come through a system maybe expecting that they would go into the professoriate um, or they would go into private industry and they wind up um, or they find themselves really loving staying within the university but not, uh, not necessarily in a teaching role. And so supporting them in their goals and in their curiosity and helping them develop uh, support systems that lead to a better classroom experience for students. Now, that's interesting because, Lisa, in your world, more typically teachers go into teaching because they intend to go into teaching, not because they, they end up teaching because they're in the, in, the, in the academic world. So what are the three top focuses of educational development or instructional curriculum, curriculum and instruction support in K-12? I really think of the curriculum and instruction department as a safety net. Like we are the support structure for learning in the district for all learners, whether they be students or, or adults. But if I was to look at what are the top initiatives that we have underway that we think are essentially changing life chances for kids, because I think that's the real role of an educational system. Um, visible thinking, so thinking routines, allowing kids to learn in, in groups and express themselves by learning from and with each other. I think that's really important. I think inquiry is hugely important and having students leave our system more curious than when they arrived. And that's quite a stretch when you think about the curiosity of, of a child in kindergarten. But I mean, I think that should be a goal. And then I, th the third one would probably be about how we report learning. I think that's just a huge area that really needs to be looked at in a way that better communicates between the parent, the student, and the teacher, um, how a child is progressing in a way that a child is actually an authentic partner in that reporting structure. That's interesting. And that's, that's certainly an issue in higher education, but probably not quite as far down that road. Is that safe to say, Catherine? I don't think about parents a lot. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's a fair point. Um, but absolutely thinking about assessment and how are we making sure that students are reflecting on their own learning and uh, understanding what the the responses from their their instructors are what does feedback look like what is effective feedback and how do we help students who are balancing a lot these days you know they're working they're, they're a lot of them have families uh, helping them when they're prioritizing their education learn from it as efficiently and effectively as possible Whether you call it educational development, or learning and teaching, or teaching and learning, or curriculum and instruction, this area of work really is focused on learning and assessment of learning, whether you're talking at the K-12 level or the higher education level. I had a student come into my office uh, once to talk to me about how we could do better in the class, and at some point in the discussion, he, he sort of accused me of not teaching. He, because I was using a lot of discussion-based methods and getting students to do activities together. Um, and he told me he wasn't there to learn from the other students. He was there uh, to hear what I knew to be true. And 
instead of taking that as like, oh no, I, I realized that I didn't agree with him and I knew that from the outset, but I thought it was really a moment where I realized how much I needed to communicate my intentions to the class, that I really needed them to know why I was doing what I was doing. And I think looking back on it in some ways, that was when I started really thinking about the my perspective on teaching and learning and how does this classroom setting get constructed in a way that helps the students understand what learning is all about. And so I've always sort of been curious about what how learning happens and why. And I think that was a moment where I can look back and as uncomfortable as that moment was when I thought, you know, the student really thinks I'm not doing a good job, it really changed the trajectory of why why I did what I did in my class moving forward, which was, you know, simple things about here's why we're doing this. Here's um, why this assignment looks silly or why you're talking to each other, but this is the intention. This is this is how it connects to the bigger picture. So we're really kind of talking a metacognition yeah. kind of kind of piece to that. What do you what do you think? Have you have you have you done the same thing in a K to twelve classroom just in terms of that sort of metacognition? This is why we're doing what we're doing. I would say I do that more with adult learners now in my role. That's some something that throughout my career I think I have tried to evolve towards is being able to be more mindful of that. I would say in the classroom, my biggest aha moment was when I read Inside the Black Box, the Dylan William article, early 2000s. And it, gave, it validated me and gave me permission to do what I really believed I always needed to do, which is really find out what kids know, rather than what do they know on November 17th? It's can you show me what you know at some point in our time together? And that really changed for me. Um, my mindset, I thought I was actually just this marshmallowy kind of teacher that gave kids second chances and let them show what they knew in different ways. And this is at a time when that wasn't being done, particularly in secondary schools. So for me, that was a more profound educational moment about thinking and learning. Um, and that's what started me on my master's degree pathway. Oh, interesting. And what did you do for your master's? I did uh, curriculum and instruction, and my, my big project at the end was all around assessment and authentic assessment, so student-led portfolios and um, formative assessment. Again, common now, but it, it wasn't at that time. Yeah, interesting. And despite saying it's common now, I think it's not truly universal yet. Yes. Would you agree with that, Catherine, particularly yeah. in the higher education? Absolutely. Can you think of a of a time when you had a student have one of those aha movements where they 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 again they sort of self consciously realized they'd learned something rather than that they just they just got an A on the paper so that they're going to move on to the next stage of their academic career? Oh, yes. So I I think it's beautiful when it happens in class, like in those moments where you've got students working in a group, and the the room the din of the room just starts to grow and grow because they're so engaged and. And talking about what this theory means or what this concept means or how this is applied in in a context that they're familiar with and you see those kind of sparks going off like their eyes are lighting up and they're they're hunched in at their table talking and I think those are the moments that you that you live for uh, I'm trying to think of one in sp one specifically but I can't and that's uh, that's kind of con contrasted with when they go on their computer and they look up to see what their final grade was for such and such a course right and that's at the end, like the final grade is, that's when all the learning has happened, right? So it's that moment, those those precious moments that you have with them where you're, you're engaged and you're seeing the thinking happen. 
that's the process piece that's so energizing about teaching is seeing them take the information and use it right away. Um, at the end, it's it's the end. And so I don't know how much learning happens when you're looking at your grade. Yeah, good point. Do you, do you find grade 12s, grade 11s and 12s fall, fall into that that perspective of focusing on grades and not on their learning? Absolutely. You know, you can spend hours and hours marking essays and you give them back to students and you've got all kinds of descriptive feedback written all the way through it and they flip to the back and they look at the rubric or the scoring guide and see what their mark is and, and then close the pages all down and you know that they haven't done anything with it. Um, I remember a student saying once there was no grade on, on the back of it, only descriptive feedback and a student saying, this is the best I've ever done. And that was really exciting because there was no mark there but the student understood and was able to digest the feedback because it was reasonable and, and the student was progressing. That was a really another aha moment around that assessment formative um, piece that I was talking about earlier. So we've talked about Dylan William uh, earlier. Are there any other books that you're, are currently on your reading list? Um, I tend to read a lot of research in the area of creativity, and so I love stuff that Ken Robinson talks about. Um, Tony Wagner's written a lot of stuff recently about creating innovators, which I really, really like. It's more geared towards K-12 to um, and not post-secondary, but a lot of the truth. There's a lot of truth to that, I think, at our level as well. Um, and Teresa Mobley talks a lot about creating the conditions for innovation and creativity in the workplace. And again, a lot of her work is really is really interesting. And her uh, her when I think one of her most recent books is called The Progress Principle. And there's some really good nuggets in there about how do you take steps forward while reflecting back? Mm, cool. And anyone else that you would throw into? Because, I mean, some of those names you're working with, too, I'm sure. In terms of- sure. For thinking routines, I think, you know, Ron Richard um, has some really great stuff out there. Um, just started reading Liberating Structures. And that's really interesting, too. Again, very similar kind of um, method for getting learners, whether they're adults or students, to to show show what they know and to think about things in a in a different way, when you do a Ron Richard uh, strategy, you'll often get your learners saying, "Oh, I hadn't thought of that before," but they did. They were able to express it. They just hadn't um, been able to really process all the information that we get. Uh, I think sometimes we all, whether we're adults or students, really suffer from this over-assimilation where we read things and we think we know what it means because we know what all the words mean. But having a thinking routine where you actually have to do something or think about or verbalize something differently really makes you come around to the learning in a different way that's really powerful and you only understand it once you do it. For assessment, I think, you know, Ann Davies, Kathleen Gregory, and Karen Cameron have some really interesting work out now on looking at portfolio assessment. That's another really interesting structure for reporting for us as well, rather than just looking at how do we do with examinations, but rather as a body of work, how can we evaluate and assess how kids are doing. So is pedagogy, a definition of pedagogy, I'm sort of thinking that's sort of what's coming out of this in, in my mind, is that it's actually getting in and trying to strategically, not manipulate, but strategically get students to manipulate their own brains to, to do different things so that they can manipulate and use information they've got rather than just regurgitating it back. But actually, so, so you doing something to make them 
again, meta, metacognitive about it, or at least doing some mental gymnastics with what they're doing. Is that is that a fair thing to to use as a uh, summary? Absolutely. Can I tell you a story about? Tell a story. Um, so I. I used to teach this class called Education in the Community, and it was a special topics class, and I really, really loved it. And so one of the things that I was always on a soapbox about was that there's, you know, there's education that my students often knew, which is sort of K to 12, and now they were in university. But there's this whole other world of learning outside of these you know, these structures. And so uh, this class that I got to teach was all about everything that wasn't K to 12 education. So I took them out on a trip, and so I took them, I'd take them on field trips every week. And so this one week we went to uh, this local food services training center where they did employment training and uh, basic food service skills so people could learn how to work in the food service industry. And my students had no idea this existed as a thing, that there was community education. And so we took them in, and they got a little food safety lesson, and then we made our dinner. So we made this fresh pasta and fresh bread and... I mean, it was delightful. You're cooking with your students, you're eating with your students, you're sharing a meal. And the students are sort of like, why, why would we do this? So, you know, it's fun. We're engaged. We're having a good time. And then engaging the students over dinner about why are we here and giving them this messy problem. Like, why would a, in a university course, would I ask you to come out in the middle of nowhere to the center to make your own pasta? And then we, we unpacked it all and we started unpacking what education systems look like. And they were the ones who started to lead the conversation about why we were there and what we were doing and what teaching is and who teaching is for. And I think that moment was transformative for me as an educator, but transformative for them in sort of their own autonomy as learners and realizing that they had a huge opportunity in their undergraduate education to learn. But there was so many ways of doing learning and that weren't staring at a PowerPoint screen in a classroom with a fixed seat listening to somebody read theory to them. So I think when you're talking about pedagogy and a theory of pedagogy, it's about putting students in these messy places and giving them the tools to find their way out and to make those personal connections because that's what's lasting. I bet you my students, if you went back to them now, they'd remember that. Would you have, would you have a similar story? Actually, I'd, I'd like to just comment on what Catherine shared because I, I just think it's so powerful. I, as educational leaders, one of the most tricky bits of our work is establishing any sense of coherence in our systems. And the moment that we get our learners to participate in creating coherence, I think that's truly powerful and and lasting. System change is not easy. And we can't just do it in isolation. It actually has to be a process in which we participate to draw the coherence across. We just had a two-day workshop with uh, Linda Kayser and Judy Halbert from Spirals of Inquiry, the Network of Innovation and Inquiry. And one of the things that I heard over and over from the adult teacher learners that were in the room was this connects to the first people's principles of learning and this connects to the OECD seven principles of learning. And to see that we can take time, you know, Learning takes patience and time, as they say in the principles of learning. I think that's really, really powerful for our educators to see that our system doesn't have to be spinning quickly all the time, that we can stop and pause and reflect. We can take a moment and think about what does it mean to focus on a problem. And that that was wonderful feedback to get after the workshop was over, was I enjoyed today 
and I didn't feel like I got overloaded. I had time to really think and reflect. So they're excited about coming back. This is part of a three-part series that we have set up. And that's nice that they're excited about what February will look like. And they have plans of what they're going to do between now and February. And I'm quite excited to see where we go. I think when we empower the system for system change, then the change is authentic and it's lasting. Well, that's a wonderful way to to sum up it, sum it up. So thank you to the two of you for coming in and participating in our podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Leading learning. It doesn't matter if it's a K-12 context or a post-secondary context. It's about engaging learners in their own learning and assessment of that learning and engaging the instructors of those learners as learners themselves in exactly the same way. And that's the way you get systemic change. Thanks to our guests again, Lisa Carson, the Director of Instruction for School District 73, and Catherine Dischke-Hunzel, the Director of the Centre for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at Thompson Rivers University. This has been Adventures in Teaching. Brought to you by Kelt the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at Thompson Rivers University.